Amen. Good morning. It's good to see you today. Um, I know there's a lot of fun things that we're looking forward to this afternoon, and uh, I'm thankful that we have, man, I just want to say thank you real quickly to all of our volunteers. There were people here early this morning around 7 and 7.30 helping out, and I thank God. Uh, I believe that a church that serves together uh, is a church that's healthy and strong, and I certainly appreciate all the work that goes into different things that we do around here. This morning, we're in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 12. And as you turn there, I just want to say, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but there's, there's moments in life where things in your life happen that are unexpected and they seem so overwhelming and they seem so crushing that it, you wonder, how are you going to see yourself through this season? How are you going to see yourself through this moment? How are you supposed to respond? Now, often we have a tendency to respond in ways that are very emotional. We respond in ways that are unchecked. We respond in ways that are certainly not the most godly. And, I, and I'm certainly guilty of that in, in, in many ways. You know, my initial response to things are not typically the godly response. You say, well, you're a pastor. Well, yeah, but I'm still a sinner too. You know what I mean? Amen? And so there are, there are things that, that happen in life where we're just like, we don't understand, and things that we try to make sense of. And, and what I'm thankful for this morning is the Word of God. Because no matter how uncertain our life is, and no matter what life throws at us, there's something so absolute and something so unchanging that we can anchor our hearts and lives to. And that's one of the benefits of being a follower of Jesus Christ is that we can anchor our hearts and lives to something that transcends this life, it transcends our experience, and when it feels like the waves of life are, 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 are crashing in on us and we're just trying to breathe, we have the Word of God to inform us in terms of what our next step should be. Today's no different because what we find in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus says, again, in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, there's this, there's this almost parenthetical statement where Jesus says in the midst of all this, and it's, it's actually tucked in between two sections of Scripture that deal with our relationship to other people. And I don't know about you, but the most hurt that I've experienced in life has almost always come in the relationships that I have. How many of you know what I mean? Amen. It could be a spouse, significant other, it could be a sibling, it could be whatever, but tucked in between Matthew 1 and 6, and then as we, as we move forward later on, we're going to see some things, but, but here's this passage in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you felt compelled and, and, and you felt compelled to love and serve someone who didn't deserve it, Right? And maybe you just felt like, I got to serve this person. I got to do right by this person. But you know what? They don't deserve it. They don't deserve my love. They don't deserve me serving them. And everything in your body, everything in your mind said, don't be nice. Don't let your guard down. Do what is best for you because they don't deserve it. I believe Jesus knows the disposition of our hearts and our desire for fairness we desire fairness. We desire justice. But deep down, for many of us, I, I don't know if you're this way. Some of you seem incredibly more spiritual than I am. But many of us, we desire revenge, right? 
Like, we desire that. And so, yet, we are incapable of knowing what is fair because of our bent towards sin and selfishness. And Jesus is calling us in this text, and you can write this down today. Jesus is calling us to something that is just absolutely absurd. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There's no caveats. There's no, there's no pivoting. There's no conditions. There's no, there's no qualifications. Jesus just states, do unto others as you would have them do to you. So here we find Jesus leading his disciples to be characterized by love and service to others. And our attitude shouldn't be that they don't deserve it. Our attitude should be, how can I love them? Now, I certainly struggle with this more than I'd like to admit. And so often we want to think in terms of fairness. We want to think in terms of justice. We want to think that they earn this. And you know, the problem is that we don't think through the lens of this truth because we can't because we become very arrogant. We get proud and we become critical of others. And then we ourselves, then we become deserving. Well, I deserve to be treated this way. Why isn't anyone loving me? Why isn't anyone serving me? Why isn't anyone doing right by me? Can I get an amen? Does anyone else feel this way, right? Amen? Why, why is it that everyone's mean to me, but I'm supposed to be nice to everyone else? And so this is the, one of the things that we've been talking about over the last several months, and that is this, is Jesus is more concerned with who you are than what you do. And I just want to ask you this morning, what do you want to be known for? And there's a lot of things that I could be known for, some that I'm ashamed of, some that are deserving, but when all is said and done and this life is over, I want to be known as a person that has loved other people. I do want to be known for that. And again, what we do is we roll back into this principle that keeps popping up in every truth that Jesus is teaching to his followers because we're to develop this heart of love. We're to develop character. We're to develop the inside person of who we really are. And so the big idea today is this. Putting others first is the most powerful statement of God's love to others. Putting others first. As disciples, we're ambassadors who represent God's love to those who are forgotten and those who are far from God, even to those who have failed us. So this, like verses 1 through 6, are some of the most misunderstood verses in the entire Bible. And here's what I want you to note this morning, and that is this. The golden rule, that's what this is. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We teach this to our kids, and it actually is lifted out of Scripture. The golden rule is not the way to the kingdom. It is the way of the kingdom. It's a representation of what we believe. It's a representation of the gospel. It's a representation of us following Jesus. It is what Jesus did for us. He did for us on the cross. And so in God's kingdom, we live in a way that is inverted to the world's value. That's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the most prolific attitude or attribute that has the potential to set us apart for our calling as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ is our selfless love. It's our unconditional love to others. And unfortunately, for many of us, we find ourselves being characterized by self. And so ultimately, what this comes down to is how are we going to love others? And so I want us to begin with this thought this morning, and that is this. I want you to see from this passage of Scripture the power of selfless love. The power of selfless love. 
Now, the person who practices the golden rule refuses to say or do anything that would harm himself or others. They, they ultimately are willing to put others first. This great truth is that, is that this principle ought to govern our life attitudes towards others. It applies to believers, and it must be practiced in every area of our life. Are we loving others? Are we putting them first, even if they failed us, even if they don't deserve us? Are we showing them the love of Jesus Christ? Because practicing the golden rule releases the love of God in our lives, and it enables us to help others, even those who've hurt, hurt us. You see, practicing the golden rule, write this down, practicing this means paying a price. It means paying a price. See, when God's love is demonstrated by putting others first, it, it pictures his love for that individual. So often we forget that our fellow humans are created in the image of God. So an attack or a hurt toward them attacks and hurts God's creation. That's the imagio Dei. That's, that's others created in God's image. And so what we see is that love is the foundation to restoring others back to God. Now the greatest illustration of this, and many of us know the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are in the garden. God says one thing. Don't do this one thing. And before you go getting on to Adam and Eve, I don't think any of us would have lasted 24 hours in the Garden of Eden. We'd be like over at that tree like, man, this tree looks good. Give me one of those, you know, passing it around to everyone, right? But anyways, Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They go hide from God. God shows up on the scene. He asks a question, where are you at? Not because God didn't know where they were at, but he was asking them a counseling diagnostic question. Where are you at spiritually? Where are you at with me? What have you done? right? And so then they go through this whole thing of blame shifting and, and making excuses. And if I were God, I mean, you, you started this, this whole like world thing out, right? I'm going to create the heavens and the earth, and I'm going to plop two humans in the middle of it. All you have to do is name animals and eat. Like, that's all you got to do. That's a good, sweet gig. Can I, right? Right? And then not to be crude, but literally they're walking around naked, and they're Look, man, it's before the fall. No mosquitoes. Like, you're just rolling, right? It's good times, right? And so here they are, and they mess the whole thing up. And if I'm God, I'm like, reset. Let's just start this whole thing over. But you know what God's first step to them was a step of redemption. His first step to them was one in which they would be restored back into relationship with himself. And so what we find is that this truth is so practical and so powerful because there isn't a person in this room who hasn't been hurt by someone at some point in their life. For many, it was a spouse, a parent, a friend, a co-worker, a classmate, maybe even a family member. And in the midst of our pain and our hurt, God calls us to live out the very power of the gospel towards those who he has called us to love and serve. And this gets really practical because for many of you, you live with a spouse or a sibling. And it's, you don't want to pick up their clothes. You don't want to take out their trash. You don't want to be nice to them. Even though God has called us to do these things, we feel like at times in our marriages and with our children and with our siblings and with our coworkers, they don't deserve my kindness. They don't deserve my love. They don't deserve for me to do this again. 
And yet, that's what God is calling us to do. I mean, who'd want to do that? I mean, they, they, they never would do that for us. How about just generally sharing with others or, or being there for someone when it's an imposition? Now, in Chicago, you knew who your friends were. You knew who your friends were. One of two qualifications for a friend in Chicago. I mean, you knew who your ride or die was, who was your bestie, however you guys say it here. You knew. And here's how you knew. One is if you help somebody move, like you are good friends, right? If you help someone pack up their house, like that's friendship. Can I write amen? That's amen. Here's the second one. If you pick your friend up from O'Hare International Airport at any time of the day, like that's, that's a good friend. Like that's someone you're going to roll with. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only in his own interest, but also on in the interests of others. And in a culture that's about me and mine and, 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 and my path and my agenda and my plans and my well-being, this doesn't set well with us. I'm supposed to put their interests ahead of my own? I'm supposed to pay a price for them? Yeah, man, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and that's what it means to reflect the good news of the gospel. See, when followers of Christ serve and put others first, it announces to the world a love that's unparalleled to any love that they have ever known or experienced. I want to say that again, because I don't want this to be lost on you. When followers of Christ serve others in any capacity, but especially when you've been hurt, especially when you've been betrayed, especially when you've been taken advantage of, when followers of Christ serve others and we put them first, it announces to the world a love that is unparalleled to any love that they have ever known, ever will know, and any love that they've experienced. That's the way of the kingdom. Jesus was all about living upside down, this inverted life. He calls us to live in such a way that the world is left asking, where does that kind of love come from? Why would you be forgiving? Why would you sacrifice? Why would you give of yourself? I don't, I don't deserve this. Why are you doing this for me? It's a great question. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what he did for me when I didn't deserve it. Let me tell you how he sacrificed for me when I didn't deserve it. Let me tell you about a debt that he paid for me that I was never, ever, ever going to be able to repay. Because that's the way of the kingdom. So when this type of love is indicative and characteristic in our lives, families... In our church, we're able to impact the lives of others, and that impact is actually limitless. This is what it means to love. But let me talk to you next about the problem of selflessness. You see, it's not so much of a problem as it's a dilemma. Because, I mean, we can be pretty selfish, but others can be selfish. Others can hurt us, betray us, and do us harm. And it's a pretty vulnerable thing to put someone ahead of yourself. It really is. Mark my words. It's a very vulnerable thing to put others ahead of yourselves. I mean, like yesterday, I, um, my oldest took the ACT, and afterwards I was like, hey, do you want to go to... This is simple. It's stupid. It's something very silly. I said, sweetie, you want to get some Chipotle after you take the ACT today? Sure, Dad. Her next thing was, could you get chips and queso? Of course I'll get chips and queso. Now, in my mind, I don't want to share my chips and queso with my daughter. She's like a ravaged beast, man. She's <laughs> and I'm sitting there, are, are we counting these chips out? Do I get 10? You get 10? And I'm, I'm like stressing, you, you're taking too much. Are you dipping the queso or are you scooping the queso? This is the kind of stuff that's going on in my mind. 
And I'm, I'm putting myself in a vulnerable position with her because I'm afraid that I'm not going to get enough queso, right? All these lime-flavored chips that are sweet goodness in my mouth are being devoured by, you know, my 17-year-old daughter. It's vulnerable. It's vulnerability. And that's something silly, but, but if I want to bless her, if I want to love her, she can have all the queso. She can have all of the chips. We could break this down practically in so many ways in everyday little micro moments that we have in our life. But what we find is there's this level of fear and uneasiness because we lose control of the outcome. That's what we're afraid of. We're afraid that if we don't control the outcome, if we're not managing this thing, because obviously God's not awake. God's not aware of what's going on in my life. He doesn't see how unfair this is. He doesn't see how unjust this is. He doesn't see that if I don't protect myself, and if I don't guard myself, and if I allow myself to be vulnerable, I will be taken advantage of. What happens is, is we, we fail to see that God is wanting to work through our faith and our trust in Him. Jesus calls His disciples to a life of sacrificial love, concern, and compassion. He called us to live, in, in, uh, to live inverted with the world's values. He wants us to live in, uh, from a disposition where, yes, man, there are going to be times where we suffer. Times are going to be difficult. There are going to be times where we're hurt and betrayed. There are those moments. In fact, Peter said, if any man suffers as a Christian, let him glorify God on his behalf. Paul said in Philippians, it's been appointed unto you. He says, it's been ordained by God that you will suffer, that you will be hurt, that you will will face difficulty in life. And so in our American culture, this is foreign to us because we don't like pain. We don't like suffering. We don't like hurt. We don't like conflict. We want a life of ease and we want to live the American dream. And that is so foreign to the scriptures. Because life is hard, and life is difficult, and life is broken, and life is not fair. And can I just say this to you this morning? Good, because it makes us long for more of heaven. It makes us long for more of Jesus. It makes us long for the gospel to be lived out and for us to bring the kingdom here to earth while we're here so that one day when Jesus returns, He's going to reconcile this broken world unto himself, and he's going to make all things new. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen? So we think in our minds, man, i got to avenge myself. i got to look out for myself. When we've been hurt, we want to avenge our hurt. We want to inflict pain on the offender. And this never turns out well for the person who is in pain and is in hurt. Now part of this, and I I get it. Many of you are going to say to me, man, I'm not going to be a doormat. And I, I just want to I'm going to give you this caveat this morning. Like, I'm, I'm 100% behind boundaries. I mean, there's people in my life, I just put up boundaries. Like, I'm not going to let you, I'm not just going to let you needlessly hurt me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you, and that's emotionally, mentally, and even physically. Like, there are people in my life, like, I just don't let them in because they're just, they're so broken that they just, I, I can't handle their drama, right? And so I, I understand some of that. I do. But I want to say this again, in life you will be mistreated. In life you will be hurt. You will be betrayed. But as we follow Christ, we identify most with Him. 
and his suffering when we suffer at the hands of others. When we put our, our, ourselves in a position of faith, in a position of vulnerability, we put ourselves in a position where, where, where we're trusting God for the outcome. That's where God works in our lives. I heard someone say years ago that God finds his servants in the furnace of affliction. God finds his servants in the furnace of affliction. God does. And he will greatly use those whose lives have been touched with pain. God uses your pain. God uses your suffering. God uses your difficulty. And I can say with an honest heart this morning as your pastor, those moments in life that are the most difficult, the most uncertain, the most fearful, the most painful, when you, in those moments, turn to God in faith, you will find a loving Father, a compassionate friend, and a deepness to a relationship that transcends anything that this life can ever offer you. But you would never know that without the pain. You would know that without the obstacle. You would know that without the suffering. We not only imitate him, but we put on display the gospel when we don't respond in the way that w- the world would respond in those particular situations. That's the problem of selflessness. But then I want you to see the protection. I want you to see the protection of selfless love. Do you know, my daughter and I were talking this morning, and and my wife and I, we we go through seasons where we're just deeply and madly in love with each other. And we are. I mean, today's one of those days, right, babe? We love each other. I couldn't have asked for a better spouse in the world, right? And I, I mean that in all sincerity. And I know God has given me the gift of sarcasm, and that is not one of those moments, right? But we've had two seasons in our marriage where it's just been especially difficult. We've gotten counseling for it, and we walk through those seasons together as best as we can. And, and my daughter and I were talking about that a little bit this morning. And as a dad, you want to you have the best marriage you can, and you want to put on the best example that you can as a husband and a wife. And there's reasons why, you know, April and I have our own conflicts and, and, and different things, mostly because I'm selfish, but she is too sometimes, but not as much as me. She's a saint. When we get to heaven, I'm going to live on the ghetto side of heaven, and she's going to be somewhere in the penthouse with Peter and Moses and those other dudes. Ruth, you know. But one of the things that that I find interesting in marriages and really in any relationship is that there is a certain amount of failure. And man, I'd love to have um, uh, a relationship where, uh, like the Cleavers, uh, that's going to be lost on about 90% of the audience today, but leave it to Beaver. The Cleavers, you guys know who I'm talking about? Harriet and uh, Ward, Ward and Harriet, Cleaver, right, there you go. All the millennials, June, June Cleaver, they're, they're helping me out. Interactive worship service today, I appreciate that, old timers. I'd love to have a marriage that looked like that, right? You know? I'd love that. The Brady Bunch. 
I don't know, the Brady Bunch is kind of weird to me, but anyways. But I'd love to have that, that picture-perfect relationship with my wife. But here's what I want for my kids. Is to see a mom and a dad and a husband and a wife that while, yes, we failed each other, we continue to love each other. We continue to lean in. We continue to grow. We continue to mature. We continue to turn to each other even when we don't like each other, even when we've hurt one another, even when we don't understand each other, even when we, we are each other's adversaries in moments. And so it's hard to love someone that's repeatedly failed you, but listen, isn't that the very thing that God has done for us when he left heaven? to come to you and me. Isn't that, isn't that what God did? Instead of avenging ourselves or seeking what is humanly fair, we get to put our faith in God and watch Him faithfully take care of those who follow Him. To love and serve others is an act of obedient faith that God calls us to. We're trusting God will use our faith so that others can experience His love because when we're obedient to God and following His wills and His will and ways, God protects you and He will sustain you. And listen, listen, when you feel lost, when you feel like you don't have the answers, that's the best place you can be because that's when God begins to guide you. Most of the time, we're just going on about life and we're doing our own thing and we're walking our own path and we don't really need God. But when we find ourselves in a situation where it's uncertain, we find ourselves in a situation that we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, that's when we begin to lean into who God is. And we begin to lead into His ways. And we begin to trust the Lord with all of our heart, not our own understanding. And in all of our ways, we acknowledge Him. And so God sustains us, and He guides us when we feel lost and when life feels so uncertain. So in Romans chapter 12, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves. I just can't wrap my head around this. Because if someone cuts me off in traffic, you know what I want to do? I want to cut them off in traffic. I do. When my kids take my snacks, and I got a bunch of snacks today. Someone brought me some snacks for past appreciation. I'm not taking them home. And if I do, I'm going to hide them. It says, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, this is absurd. Like, right? Are you guys with me or not? Amen? Like your enemy? This is what he's asking us to do. And I just got this picture in my mind when my wife and I are in a fight, and she goes and bakes me cookies and says, here, you little enemy, eat these cookies. And I'm wondering, is there, you know, arsenic in these, or are we still good? You know, I don't know. It's a little bit at a time, you know. If, you're, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. I, I'm on the corner, man. I'm over there like, nah, man. You're going to die of thirst. I'm going to watch, right? That's how we think. And God's like in Romans chapter 12, no, 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 we're not going to do that. For by so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And here's what most of us do. We allow the evil to overcome us from the inside out. And then we get bitter. And then we find res ourselves resenting other people. And listen, that never, listen to me, that never ends well for anyone. But especially for yourself. When you allow your heart to be overcome with evil and bitterness and resentment and revenge, Jesus is like, man, this is not the way of a disciple. As absurd that it is. And here's what I want to say about Romans chapter 12. As nutty as that passage seems in a world, in the world that we live in, 
what we're ultimately doing is there may never be justice this side of heaven, but there is coming a day where God will make all things new. God will bring justice. God will make all things right. And so we're trusting Him. We're walking with Him in these moments. One of the things that we need to be reminded of is that we identify with Jesus when we walk in suffering, hurt, and betrayal. Never are we more like Christ when we've been hurt or used, and then we go and we love and we serve our enemies. You see, the path to salvation for us involved the cross. In order for me and you to know Christ, to be right with God, to be forgiven of our sins, to be restored back to God because of our, our sin and our transgressions, Jesus had to walk to the cross. He had to be nailed to the cross. He had to shed his blood on the cross. He had to give his life on the cross. Why? Because you and I would be born and we would live a life that was self, selfish. We would live a life full of sin. And every single one of us in this room would need a Savior. And so Jesus said, I will go to the cross for them, even though they do not deserve it. Jesus suffered for our sins, and he took our sin. He took our shame, and he took our guilt as his own. He took our place. So suffering is a powerful catalyst to our likeness and surface to Jesus. If you want to be like Jesus, you will have to navigate suffering and hurt and pain. And when you do, how we respond to that suffering, that hurt, that pain, that betrayal will be a reflection of the gospel's grip on our hearts and our lives. It reveals how deep the gospel has gone into our lives. At the end of the day, we're called to love and serve those in our lives without reservation. Some of the people who've hurt me the most were the ones that I've loved the most and served the most. And it was painful at times, but it was God's purpose. Many years ago when I was pastoring, I had a family in our church. I'd hired a staff member, and, and it, it wasn't working out. And I had a family come in, into my home, friends of mine. I mean, I, I had poured into this family. And they sat in my living room, and they said, you either need to fire him, or we're leaving the church. And I said, well, then you're leaving the church because you're not going to hold me over the barrel of a gun to make a decision that I'm not ready to make. And they ended up leaving the church. And for years, I mean, these were friends of ours. I mean, really, really good friends of ours. And they just left the church. And for years, I mean, literally, they lived down the street from us. And every time I'd pull into my house on Blanchard, I'd, I'd pass their house. We continued to love them. I'd see them in, in town. It was always awkward, but I'd see them in town. And several years later, I get a phone call, and the wife calls me, and she says, hey, I need to sit down with you and your wife, and, and I'd like to talk to you if you have a few minutes. And so I said, yeah, that's fine. Didn't have no idea what she was going to share with us. And she said, you know, I've been visiting another church, and the pastor said to me, he says, you know, before you join our, our fellowship, our, our family here, you need to make sure that you don't have any resentment or awe or anything in your life that would hinder you from joining our, our family, our fellowship because you're, you're holding on to some things or some things that you did wrong in your previous church. And she came to my house and sat with me and my wife. And she said, Jason, I'm so sorry. You've done nothing but love our family. You've done nothing but right by our family. And I got mad because you just didn't want to make the decision that I wanted you to make. And I want you to forgive me for the choice that I made. And it reminds me of this this phrase and this quote that I heard many years ago by Ronnie Floyd, and he says this. He says, never let anyone out of your circle of love. Never let anyone out of your circle of love. 
And to this day, that young woman and her husband are still friends of ours. When we left town, we were able to rejoice in all the things that God had done in their life and how God had used our lives together for us both to be more faithful followers of Jesus Christ. But if I'd have just thrown in the towel, or if I'd have just been like, if I'd have just written them off and said, you know what, forget them. I don't need them in my life anymore. I don't care about them anymore. I never would have had the opportunity to see that relationship restored and to see her faith and her blind spot corrected by the Holy Spirit of God. And listen, when God gets involved, it comes out much better than when we try to insert ourselves in those moments and those situations. Never let anyone outside of your circle of love. There's no conditions to this promise. Jesus said we're to do for others what we'd want done to ourselves. It's pretty obvious that we want to be loved, served, forgiven, if necessary. And this is what we're called to do for others. We're called to, to, to lovingly put others before ourselves. As disciples, we make the statement of God's love when we put them first. So this morning, like me, this might be a struggle for some of you. Some past hurt, some past pain. Maybe it's, just, maybe it's just your spouse and they just put their socks on the floor and you have to pick up their socks every day and you just want to take those socks in the middle of the night and stick them in their ears. You know, I don't know. It, it might be something like that where this stuff, this is just these little microaggressions that we have in our relationships. They just add up over time. So I want to encourage you to read and meditate on this text. Think of all the ways in a week when you put yourself first. Think of how you slyly try to come out ahead of, of those that you're called to love and serve and to share God's love with. And it might be your family, it might be a friend, it might be a coworker, a schoolmate. Either way, I want you to do this. Write this down if you can for me this week. Pick a few ways this week that you can put those in your life first. Even when they don't deserve it. How can you put someone else first this week? And then watch what God does in those relationships when you begin to put others first. If you desire to have a dynamic, faith-filled family and friends, start by putting them first and serving them. Try to, in the words of Paul, to outdo one another in honor. With every head bowed and every eye closed, how many of you would say to me this morning, Pastor Jason, I know for, for, uh, with certainty that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I know that I'm forgiven of God. I know that, I, that, I've, that I've been forgiven of my sins. I know that I'm on my way to heaven. Would you lift your hand and let me see those hands this morning? And how many of you would say to me this morning, Pastor, I'm not certain that I'm right with God. I don't know that I'm on my way to heaven. I don't know that, I'm, um, that I've been forgiven of my sins. Would you lift your hand and let me pray for you this morning if that might be your story? Is there anyone that's like that that's here this morning? Anyone at all? Now, how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor, I'm struggling with this idea of putting other people first. There's some folks in my life that just continually jam me up. They hurt me. They frustrate me. Or maybe there's someone in your past that's done you harm. And you're just like, man, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. And you know what? That's okay. Like, I'm not asking you to figure it out all today. But how many of you just say, just at a baseline, there's some people in my life that make it difficult for me to put them first. How many of you just acknowledge that today? Okay, amen. Plenty of hands all over the room. Now, how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor, I, I want to commit my, my week. I just, I'm not asking, I'm just asking for this week. How many of you say, I want to commit my week to putting some people first in my life? There's some people that God has put on my heart right now, right now, in this moment, that I need to put first this week, that I need to love them and I need to serve them, even though they may or may not deserve it. Would you just lift your hand and let me just see those hands this morning? I just want to acknowledge that. Okay, amen. All right, with heads bowed and eyes closed, let's stand to our feet this morning. Father, we love you. And God, there's a lot about Scripture that, I mean, I can articulate it, 
I understand it. But it just doesn't make sense to me. And it's hard to be obedient to the things that you've asked us to do. It just doesn't make sense sometimes. And so I pray, God, that you would allow me and our church and our families to put our faith in you, to trust you, that your word is right, that your word is true, that your way is the way. And it's not our interest in heaven. It's, it's the way of the kingdom. It's the characteristic of a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. And God, I just wonder how many of us in this room today could identify with being a person that actually does put other people first. And we do that regularly. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of our character. And I wonder how many of us today make excuses and set up boundaries and put up walls. And, and God, we just, we, we aren't putting other first. We're, we're living the self, selfish life, not the selfless life. And God, I wonder if there's some folks in here today that are just, they're hurting. Maybe they're in a, a marriage that's just struggling. And maybe, maybe today, by putting each other first in their marriage, they might find a way forward. Maybe there's some family difficulty, work difficulty. God, I, I don't know what every story might be this morning, but I do know that your word is true. And no matter how absurd it seems, we can trust you. We can trust you with the outcome. We can trust you, Lord, that you are going to be there with us in those moments. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Church, the invitation is simple. Maybe God has spoken to you today and said, you need to put some people first in your life this week. And if he has, would you come and seal that at the altar this morning? Just say, God, I'm going to do that. Give me the strength to do that. Give me the ability to see it. Help me, help, help me to be a person of love. Help me to be a selfless person this week. And then some of you that are sitting in this room today, like you, you've been hurt. You've, you're facing some situations in your family, friends, and, 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 and people in your life, whatever, that have hurt you, betrayed you. And, and, and you need to love them. You need to put them first. And yet... You don't want to. But the greatest demonstration of God's love and a picture of the gospel would you, be you putting them first, you serving them in some way or some capacity. And it might just start with you forgiving them. And so I want to ask you to do that this morning as Derek and our worship team sings on this first note. Derek, would you?